host, Charlie Pacello, and Happy New Year to everybody. Happy 2018. What an amazing time to be alive. Uh, 2017 was quite a year. <laughs> uh, I'm sure everybody can uh, you know, look back on the 2017 and, and think to themselves, my gosh, uh, what changes have happened uh, in our lives. And um, I just want to make sure that I, that I do a quick shout-out to our sponsor here. We have an amazing sponsor, REMAX Alliance. Please go, if you live in Colorado, if you live in Oregon, go to www.homesincolorado.com. That's homesincolorado.com. They are the number one real estate uh, agency in the entire state. If you want a home, if you're ready to buy a home, go to REMAX Alliance. They are, I've known them for a very long time. They are wonderful people. They will help you to find the best home for you. And uh, it's just an honor to have them as sponsor for this show. Um, but going back to uh, the new year, you know, it's, it's a time where we get to start over. It's a time where we get to do a clean slate. Uh, we find ourselves in a whole, uh, opportunities await us, and we don't know exactly how we're going to navigate it. And sometimes we have to, you know, focus about what it is that we want and being able really clear about, you know, what are my dreams? What are my hopes? What are, what, what are the things that I want to achieve in life? And, you know, and if you've suffered from PTSD and you've suffered from trauma in any way, it can be very challenging to be able to come out of those pains because your past seems to haunt you. It doesn't want to let go. And so this is a time that you can really cleanse that and move into a whole different stage of life. And one of the things that I think is so paramount when, you, when, you, when, you, when you're reaching for that new level of existence within your life is that you've got to live in integrity. You've got to live authentically. And what do I mean by living authentically? I mean, that's, it's, it's about living your truth. It's about living and walking your truth, not somebody else's truth, your truth. If you've made mistakes in the past, if you've hurt people in the past, apologize, make, make amends, do whatever you can to, to wipe that away so that you don't have to carry that forward. And it's really just about, you know, speaking your truth. You know, it's not about forcing anybody into doing something that, uh, you, you don't, that you want to do and make them to do it because that's how you see life. No, it's about honoring people and honoring their souls and recognizing that each person has a beautiful life and that you want to help them to, be, to become the best they can possibly be. And you've got to be able to do that too. So you've got to speak your truth. You've got to live your truth. Liars don't heal. And I've told that to many of the people that I do with counseling and with my life coaching practice, you can go to my website, which is www.charliepacello.com. I've got more classes that are going to be talking about this very thing on how to live a life of integrity. And I want to, one of the things that is so important to understand is that liars don't heal. Because, you know, if you, if you say a lie, um, lies need to be defended. Lies need to be um, argued against. And, 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 and the truth doesn't. The truth is. The truth stands on itself. And so I don't care how much, you know, if you're, you know, drinking wheatgrass or, you know, doing all these rituals or whatever that you're doing, your body knows that you lied. Your, your, your heart knows that you lied. Your, your soul knows that you lied. You, it's, it's, you can't run away from it. And this is about living life on a big league. It's about living life on a higher level, knowing that I'm going to live and walk in integrity and every moment that I possibly can. Because that's going to be the difference in, in, the next, in, the, in this coming year. 
Because if you watch the news and you watch what's going on, there's an there's a, a integrity problem in our society. There's a, there's a value problem in our society. And if we don't start living in integrity ourselves, how can we expect the world to, around us to be in integrity? And so you've got to be able to start valuing you. How do I want to treat people? Do I want to treat people with respect and decency and, and, and generosity and kindness? Or do I want to, you know, continue to perpetuate things and allow people to treat me in ways that are, that are inappropriate? You've got to be able to, to stand tall and to, and to be able to say no to yourselves. Sometimes there's a, there's a great quote that uh, W. Clement Stone says, and this is about living in integrity. He says, have the courage to say no. Have the courage to face the truth. Do the right thing because it is right. These are the magic keys to living your life with integrity. And what, what are ways that we can live life in integrity? It's about qualities within us that stand out. When you, when you see a person with integrity, they are trustworthy. That's like one of the foundations of being a person in integrity. You can count on them. You can trust them. There is something about them that you know, my gosh, this person, he's a trustworthy person or she's a trustworthy person. Their word is their bond. And you've got to be impeccable with your word. And so you want to be accountable too. And that's accountable is, you know, if you make a mistake, that you're the first one that says, you know what, I, may, I, I was wrong. No, I was wrong, and I'm going to do what I can to, to correct this. I'm sorry. And you hold other people accountable as well because you hold yourself accountable. This is living at a higher standard. It, you, they also are reliable. You, 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 they follow through with their promises. If you, if you say you're going to do something and you're not able to do it, you've got to say, I'm sorry, I can't, I can't follow through on this. Don't make promises that you can't keep. And that's for myself. I made promises. I, I, geez, I wish I would have been able to keep it. You know, sometimes life happens. So you've got to be able to stand up and say, my, you know, I'm sorry. I wasn't able to keep this promise. Because you're reliable. You've got to, you got to in, inculcate that into your being. A person of integrity shares the spotlight. It's not all about them. They recognize that it's a whole team that's involved. Yeah, this, this show is not possible without the sponsorship of REMAX Alliance. It's not possible with the generosity of Henry Archuleta, who is a station manager, and all the team that's here to make this, this broadcast possible. So it's a team effort. It's not just one person. Another um, quality of people with integrity is that they're humble. You often find that people with integrity have a very difficult time even accepting praise. And they have to be constant or sometimes reminded of their own value and that sense of humbleness that there there's a, a, a the people who walk with humility recognize that none of this is really belongs to me everything that is has been given to me has been given from something that's bigger than us and so they they recognize that all their success that comes they they think about the people who are who are, are less fortunate and they keep reminding themselves that in this big scheme of things i'm, I'm on this little speck on earth uh, that's rotating around a sun, that's rotating around a galaxy. And, you know, it, keeping things in perspective helps to keep us humble, helps us not to get too arrogant. Other things that are qualities of people of integrity is that they're genuine. You know who they are. They don't try to hide things. They're not hiding behind a, a veneer of, of, uh, of their job or their relationship or their family or their religion or anything. They're genuine people. You can tell them by the way they look and, and, and treat others. I mean, it is really the golden rule. 
treating others the way you want to be treated, loving others the way you want to be loved. And they're generous. They're generous with their time, with their money. They value other people's times. Kindness is equality in, in people with integrity. If they see someone who's injured, they help them. If they know that there's people who are suffering, they help them. If their family members are in need, they help them. If their friends are. Kindness is probably one of the um, things that is probably most needed in this world today. Because if you witness somebody who's ex exper um, expressing kindness, somebody watching it from away, it affects them as well. And that kindness gets, it's like, a, it's like a pebble that gets dropped into the water. It spreads. And that act of kindness can have ripple effects that touch so many other lives. They are do-gooders. They, they want to help people. They, they will never take advantage of somebody because it's against their morals to do so. And they don't steal. They don't steal anything away from you. They're constantly giving. So... We're going to be talking a lot about all these kinds of different themes during the show this year. And integrity is probably the key thing, I think, for all of us to be able to honor ourselves and say, listen, I'm going to live a life of integrity. I'm going to do my very best to, to, to walk the walk and talk the talk. And so ask yourself, you know, do, do I have these qualities now? Am I, am I doing that on a daily basis? And if I'm not, how can I start to do that? What can I do? To be able to live a life uh, that's true to myself. Now Shakespeare said, and I love Shakespeare. Uh, I'm an actor, and, and uh, Shakespeare, I think he, he was a genius. <laughs> I mean, the guy was a br he was brilliant. And he says in uh, in Hamlet, "To thine own self be true, and it must follow, as the night the day, thou canst not be false to any man." And I want you to take that and embrace that and, and live your life that way. Start this new year. It's a clean slate to carry that with you forward into this new year. And those who are suffering, know that there's people out there who are trying to help you. And who, those who are listening to this show, there's always, this is a place for, where we restore hope, where we save lives. We are broadcasting live on www.kuhsdenver.com, KUH Denver. We broadcast in the most incredible shows, music, uh, shows all around the world. Um, and we are grateful to have you on the show today. Now, <clears throat> time to go to uh, the th uh, our show and our guest today. Um, we are, our theme today is about war and sacrifice. Uh, our military members, uh, service members, have sacrificed a lot. And a lot of times we don't know what happens in our families. And the families of those who, who have gone to war, who have served in peacetime, gone overseas. And my guest today is uh, um, one of those members of the military who uh, have their, their family has served for generations. He's uh, uh, on the Soldier's Heart uh, Board of Directors, and he works with veterans, and his family has been serving since World War II. My guest today is John R. Oswalt, who's a professor emeritus uh, and newspaper columnist at the Saratogian. He's a Vietnam-era veteran in the Inshore Underwater Warfare Group, second group, and author of War, Sacrifice, and Coming Home. And his mom is with him as well. Uh, John, please go ahead and introduce yourself and let the audience know uh, a little bit about who you are. Charlie, it's great to see you again. 
Uh, it's been about a year and a half. I think we were together in Greece, right? That's right. Studying we were. trauma with, with soldiers' hearts. So it was really great to see you. And thanks for those really in- inspiring words in the beginning of the show. They're really helpful and meaningful to a lot of us. Um, I uh, just retired about two years ago, taught psychology courses full-time uh, at various colleges in New York State, abnormal, developmental, general. And um, about uh, 10 years ago, I met uh, Dr. Edward Tick and his co-founder of Soldier's Heart, Kate Dahlstead. And that profoundly influenced my interest uh, in the lives of veterans and their families. Subsequent to that meeting, I went to Vietnam with them to support combat vets and they're facing some really traumatic experiences that they um, were encountering, you know, maybe 40, 45 years ago. So since then, I've been a volunteer for Soldier's Heart and doing a variety of different tasks for them, uh, running workshops, doing some counseling. In addition, in my newspaper columns, the Troy Record and the Saratogian here in upstate New York, I've written a variety of columns uh, about veterans-related issues. And uh, so I'm really, um, I don't know, somewhat involved in the veteran movement or what I call the, the fabric of the veteran culture. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Well, you know, um, you and I both have a deep, deep-seated feeling for veterans. Uh, I come from a family of veterans as well. Um, you know, we've all served our country when the country called. And uh, these issues sometimes get, uh, you know, forgotten when the guys come home or the girls come home. And so they're often left to, to deal with those traumatic injuries and those pains and those memories of the past that uh, – the general civilian society is not uh, aware of, and uh, they feel distance, they feel separation, and it's very often that the families um, end up taking on that pain because they see their service woman or service man coming home, and they're not the same. Their their behavior is different. They've changed, and so, you know, it's when we when we take on these veteran issues, it's to really to help people to come back home to recognize that those, those injuries that they've had, that they've been changed by it, but that doesn't mean they have to be paralyzed by it. That doesn't mean that they have to be to carry those wounds uh, forever and nobody else can help them to, to alleviate their suffering. And so many times veterans uh, carry these wounds for decades and they're not able to, to, to relieve themselves from it. So, um, you know, when, uh, when you got started with Soldier's Heart, um, what was your uh, feeling about uh, the impact that Soldier's Heart was making on uh, on veterans? Well, I've I've heard a lot about the you know impact anecdotally, but I saw for myself when I went to Vietnam on a sixteen day journey the really positive consequences of some of uh, Ed and Kate's um, unconventional therapeutic techniques. For example. For PTSD or other emotional wounds, the usual treatments have to do with psychotherapy and medication. Now, currently, there are more alternatives being looked at. But when I went to Vietnam eight years ago with them, uh, it was really basically those two traditional treatments and not too many other exploration of other types of activities that could be used for healing. When we were in Vietnam, I was introduced to the uh, healing powers of uh, Native American traditions, uh, Buddhist chanting, praying, but certainly uh, the 
some of the techniques were very um, Freudian or psychoanalytic. For example, simply catharsis. Mm -hmm. People going there and dredging up some of those old wounds and those emotional uh, difficulties. Also, at the basis of some of Ed and Kate's therapeutic approach is what you might call cognitive restructuring. Uh, maybe some of the work of Albert Ellis, and uh, basically just changing the way people think. So it was a very powerful therapeutic combination there in, in Vietnam. The, again, non-traditional Buddhist chanting, Native American rituals, uh, praying, and then the very traditional psychotherapeutic orientation and uh, cognitive therapy orientation. So I learned an awful lot from them. Well, so did I. You know, we, we both just, uh, you mentioned that we were both in Greece just recently and learning some of the uh, therapeutic methods uh, that the ancient Greeks had used uh, in order to heal and uh, alleviate some of the suffering through the, the dream healing of Aesculapius. Um, but I would love to, right now to go ahead uh, and move toward, I would like to bring your mom on before we go into uh, some of these deeper healing modalities. Uh, and to talk, because your mom, she uh, was uh, an MP veteran from uh, World War II. Is that correct? Yes, that's correct. And, Charlie, before we have my mother on, I want to say, I don't know what the temperature is out there uh -huh. in, in California, but uh, on the New York Post, it's, it's got a big feature. It says the Ice Age. Today, one degree, wind chill minus 20, like in New York City. <laughs> We're three hours north of that. It's colder up here. And I'm saying that because... I went to my mother's residence. She's 92 and a half years old. She's independent. She lives alone. She drives. She dances. And in this very cold weather, she brought back some of her service training. And you'll know these terms. Improvise. <laughs> adapt. Adjust. And here she is with me today. Oh, that's so great. <laughs> Hello, ma'am. How are you? <laughs> Josephine. Josephine. Josephine, welcome. Thank you so much for being I, I mean, I'm, it's such an honor to have you on the show. And I would just love for you to be able to uh, share your story of service with the audience, please. It uh, is just remarkable uh, to have you on and to, to finally meet you. Thank you so much. Would you stand up? No, no, you can sit. Okay. She's going to show you a picture of her... Uh, her, bro her brother, who was the motivation for her going into the armed forces. Can you see that okay? Yes, we could see that. Yes. Wow. Okay. Wow, what a handsome uh, man. Yeah, he was a young Marine, and he died in World War II. My mother continued to tell you the story. He went in at 19 years old, and uh, he wasn't in very long because the Japanese were fighting the uh, U.S., very big time at that year and he was shot down by the Japanese in 1942 uh, was 42 mm -hmm. and the telegram read no bodies no recovery at wow. that time they couldn't do anything they were just kept fighting and but he was gone and uh, that put me I was just barely the age yet I wasn't the age yet but I said that that would be, I will go as soon as I can possibly go for the age. And I turned, uh, um, you had to be 18, yeah, 17 or 18. And I immediately enlisted in Albany, down to Albany, to the uh, 
and uh, I had to go in the army. He says you have to go in the army. You can't be, uh, you know, a marine and like that. So I said anything. I went, and uh, that was the whole thing as far as my brother, my dear brother. And you have a. She has a picture of when she was in. Also, go ahead. You could show that. Oh wow! Okay, <laughs> and uh, her picture is on the cover of my book. Uh, but anyway, uh, tell a little bit about. A little bit about your duties in the service. What did you do when you were in the service? My duties? Uh, I was on horseback, for one thing. I was only a kid. I just turned 18. Wow. I barely, I just about made it to go in. They didn't want, they wanted to wait a while. And they said, you're not, you know. I, so I gave them the whole story of what happened in our town to my brother and everything. And they let me go in. And that was in uh, Virginia, Fort Myer, Virginia. First, I was in Washington, then it was Fort Myer, Virginia, and uh, they said uh, called me over, and they said, this is what you're going to do on horseback. I have pictures of it on horseback. I thought I brought it with okay. me. Okay. but um, And I was a military police on horseback, and I was just a kid, just turned, you know, that age, mm -hmm. and that's what I did in there. You had to go around and checked out this one and that one and all the, you know, mm -hmm. and some of the men that were stationed there were... You know, they said, look at the kid trying to arrest us. <laughs> <laughs> and, excuse me, Charlie, one of her unique duties was guarding uh, American soldiers who had committed a crime. Can yes. you tell a little bit about yes. that? Wow. Uh, and, uh, yes, they, uh, the crime, I'm trying to think what the crime was uh, exactly. It was, was stealing, it was stealing oh, jewelry it. in it. Germany. Stole jewelry from that. Said you. You remember real good. Uh, that's why I brought you along. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> they uh, they stole jewelry uh, from uh, Hess. From was the Hess jewels? The was Hess, the name? Hess Hess. That was the name. Of the big big uh, Hess jewelry, and it was very uh, you know it was big money and everything. And so they called us in and said you have to guard these people they're from our own they're our own soldiers who committed this crime and that's what we had to do mm -hmm. and i'll never forget that it was fort myer virginia at that time and you, you had the posts there where they they were inside of it and i had to go around with the horse and make sure that they were you know they wouldn't get out and that's i could see it now I could see me riding the horses. That was quite a long time ago. Wow. wow. What is, how, how many years did you serve, ma'am? How many years were you in? Uh, uh, I believe three, mm -hmm. possibly four, but I believe a good three, possibly four. My family couldn't wait to get me out. They tried everything. They wanted to, me to be home because it was, you know, out for a while. Three or four years possibly four i think wow. quite a while and it was always in the states virginia and washington and uh up further too i forgot the name of the one next to wash next to uh all those uh, small states and was that unusual for women to be serving at that time were you you must have been uh, one of the pioneers uh at that time to for for women serving am i am i correct but were, were there many other women serving? Uh, there, there was with with me two other ones. Wow. They're both from one was from Brooklyn, and they spoke that they they said to the guys, "Get up here! You're getting you're getting whipped and everything." Yeah, Brooklyn, 
two girls from Brooklyn and me on horseback. <laughs> I'll you know, never forget that. Yes. Oh, that's amazing. Like yesterday. And John, when you decided to serve, what was it that, uh, I mean, this was, was it uh, an influence because your family, I mean, like in my family, it was, you know, my grandfather had served, my dad had served. It was something that was in me that also wanted to carry on that tradition. Was that the same with you when you served during the Vietnam era? You know what? Uh, I wish I could say my motivation was uh, pure and honorable. But you know what, Charlie? I was just uh, an older teenager, kind of lost. I had just quit my first year of college, and I was kind of drifting around. Mm -hmm. uh, my father was in the Army. My mother was in the Army. And I thought it might be a good idea for me. So that overused phrase that some people used to use is it kind of straightened me out. It made me mature. I was away from home, mm -hmm. and I, you know, learned some things about life. So there was no John Wayne. There was no Saving Private Ryan. It was just a, a late teen looking for something concrete, something real, something honorable. Mm -hmm. Well, and I think that's uh, what a lot of young men and women uh, looking for who are lost, who are unsure in, in the military and other service organizations help to give them that sense of meaning, that sense of higher purpose. Uh, and yeah. to, to kind of get us uh, in order, to kind of get our, those wild colts, you got to, you know, I think you have to tame them. And, uh, and especially if when you're young and you're not sure what to do, uh, military service did provide that. I certainly, uh, I know that was a, true for me. Um, did your family uh, at all ever experience, because of your, your service, any kind of, um, you know, um, trauma or conflict? Or how, how were the wars handled? Uh, when you guys returned home from your fam to yeah. your families? You know what, let me say first, you know, uh, before I went, uh, the Vietnam era, obviously, it was extremely confusing in so many ways, uh, politically and emotionally. Um, I recall early on uh, seeing my neighbor who I played basketball with and played poker with. Uh, he went away at age 19, and six months later, I saw him again, but it wasn't him. It was uh, an 8 by 10 picture on his coffin. Mm -hmm. So that, you know, deeply, you know, hurt me. It was my buddy. It was my pal. Uh, then um, after, you know, when I came back, I met up with some of my neighbors, one of my childhood friends who was a combatant. Um, he didn't seem to be emotionally affected, but uh, he had two children. The first child... Uh, died at about age eight months old from uh, ambiguous cardiovascular problems. And I'll never forget, you know, the, the undertaker carrying that little white coffin from the church there in the, uh, you know, early 70s, late 60s. My friend had another child, and that child uh, couldn't walk or couldn't talk and died about age nine. And he was my best friend as a child, my buddy, and we can only assume that his some of the difficulties with his children had to do with the Agent Orange exposure. Mm -hmm. And that made a, a deep impression on me. And as the years went by, uh, my poor friend uh, drank. Uh, his relationship with his wife broke up. He lost his job. And he died maybe four years ago. So I was really impressed with... I didn't have a rough time coming back at all. I wasn't in country. Uh, I got as far as Guantanamo Bay, Cuba. I got the GI Bill. Only positive things happened to me. But some of my friends in my neighborhood uh, were deeply, deeply emotionally, physically wounded, and that made an impression on me. Mm -hmm. 
What are some of the sacrifices? And, 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 and it just that, you know, you, you mentioned some of them, <clears throat> but I want to start going into, uh, you know, to talking about your book and uh, why you wrote it, why you, were, um, you found this impetus, this impetus to be able to share veteran stories. But as, you're, uh, as you've elucidated a little bit, what are the sacrifices that veteran families make when, they're, when they're, their, their son or their daughter is sent overseas to go fight a war or to go on, uh, you know, off to duty? And, and, and how does, is the family able to deal with those issues on a day-to-day basis? Uh, what is your experience? What is your um, understanding on that? Uh, first, the, the culture f- focuses on combat veterans and being away and people like in places like Afghanistan and Iraq and Vietnam and the Pacific. But every service member, I think, who goes away for a few years makes sacrifices no matter where, they, where they're uh, sent to, deployed to. And, uh, but there's a, you know, more of a focus on combatants, which is, is a, a good thing. But all these families make sacrifices. Sacrifices where the spouse or partner is away for months or even years. Sacrifices uh, children uh, in these families. And, uh, you know, many other parts of the family simply because one of their loved ones is gone and not there for so many of the, the rituals that are common in American life. And then in other people make more severe and more in-depth sacrifices um, that are only explained when people look at each service member's unique armed forces experience. And when I say unique, again, as you know, um, in a service, you can get just lucky. You can get orders for Afghanistan, Hawaii, or California. Uh, my unit had a very aggressive name, and I had some aggressive training in Shore Undersea Warfare Group 2, and I got as far as Guantanamo Bay, Cuba. I was just extremely lucky. So the sacrifices are unique to each family and to each neighborhood. Mm-hmm. Well, they are, and it takes such an indelible toll on relationships and families. When, uh, you know, you, in one of your uh, articles that you sent me, and I think it's part of your book as well, you, you talk about and highlight some of the moral dilemmas that uh, veterans face uh, when they're being called to duty. And, and only people who have heard the call to be a warrior or heard the call to be uh, to serve in the military understand this uh, obligation, this love of duty that you have. And uh, you can be put into very... You know, where you want to stay and be with your family, your wife and your child, and yet you have the, this obligation to go out and serve. And, and I think you wrote about how in the Iliad, uh, Homer's epic poem, Hector, uh, you know, who is the champion of the city of Troy, uh, is probably going to die, but he has to fight for his city, and he has to make a choice between fighting for his city and uh, staying with, with his wife and child. And this can often lean for uh, the, ex- the spouse to feel abandoned and rejected and unloved, and which leads to infidelities, and you know, which are very common in, in the service. And these are just some. This is just one example of some of the, the moral challenges that warriors face. Uh, can you go elaborate on some of the other moral issues that military men and women face? I think you highlighted that one very well. Um, the person in the armed force has two families now. Has a family at home 
and the Armed Forces family. And you mentioned the word com- comrade periodically, camaraderie, comrade. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's to me is more like platonic love, um, especially for combatants, but even for people who are not in combat. Guy lived up above me in the barracks in a bunk bed for two years. I knew everything about him. I knew his family. Went back to see him in Dayton, Ohio. So the affection, the love, the concern that you have for your armed forces family is extremely strong. But again, that puts you in conflict with your family at home. So that's a moral dilemma. Mm-hmm. Um, another dilemma I experienced when I was teaching is uh, a young student, well, young, 21 years old, came back from being deployed, and he was a sniper not unlike uh, the one in the movie, The American Sniper. And in tears, he told me, he said it was my duty, but the kid did not even have a hair on his face. So basically, he killed a young kid who was a threat to some of his comrades, but still a moral dilemma. And he kept repeating, I killed a kid. In a uh, one-woman play that was on Broadway, I think a short time ago, I think... uh, maybe Anne Hathaway was a star. It was about a female drone pilot. And her moral dilemma was they located the enemy and um, she was called to blow up and destroy him and maybe some other, quote, bad guys. And at the time she was supposed to do it, her young, his young daughter ran to the car to say goodbye to him for the day therein the moral dilemma so it was her duty and she was ordered to do it but it's easy to understand that dilemma when we're in vietnam i remember one of the young well now not a young officer but when he was a young officer he said he was uh asked to call in an airstrike on a small village and that was his duty the enemy was suspected there the north vietnamese but as the village went up in flames he recalls seeing a toddler or two running out of the village on fire. And again, an extreme serious moral dilemma. And I don't know how you shake something like that. Mm. I don't know what therapeutic process cleanses that from the heart and the soul. So there are just a few of the many dilemmas. Well, and I think it's, uh, it's such an important thing to understand that, you know, these moral dimensions are real. It's a real pain. It's a real challenge that people who have uh, chosen to follow that warrior's path uh, have to deal with because uh, you're dealing with, you know, life and death issues. You're, you're, you're putting yourself on the line to be able to defend and protect people. And sometimes you're giving, you know, a candy to children uh, who are coming up to you and laughing. And then all of a sudden the enemy is using those children to throw grenades at you because they're threatening their families that if the children don't do that, they um, will, their families will get killed. And so they're caught into this, you know, where they, they have no choice. And it is an excruciating dilemma for, for men and women in the service to do that. And also, you know, putting yourselves, you know, in like when I was working in the nuclear warfare program, the idea that what I was going to be doing was going to be killing innocent millions and millions of innocent, billions possibly, innocent civilians. And that um, that just crushed my soul. It was like, this is not what I wanted to do at all. You know, there, there's, a, there's a point when you have to say, no, this is, this is not right. And yet at the same time, we're compelled to, to honoring the duty that we have 
that we were being asked to do. So it's not always easy. Yeah. Charlie, let me let me mention, I just thought of something odd. As we're talking, so many thoughts go through my head. Uh, you mentioned being truthful and honest. Uh, I spoke with a young, well, maybe um, 18 years in the Marine career guy, and uh, he was embarrassed to tell me that he was not deployed in a combat zone. Mm-hmm. And I said to him, you know what? I give you a lot of credit for not embellishing, making up a story, and telling the honest truth. You were just lucky. But so many people are saying, you know, where were you deployed? Who did you fight against? And all that stuff. So that's also a moral dilemma, is telling the truth about what you actually did in the armed forces. Mm-hmm. Oh, I absolutely, 100% agree. Uh, just a quick, uh, we are broadcasting. I need to let uh, everybody know where we're broadcasting from. We're broadcasting from KUHSDenver.com. That's KUHSDenver.com. We are broadcasting from Denver all through Colorado, the United States, and all around the world. We're touching lives through fantastic shows and musical li- musical music all from the best musicians and artists from all around the world. Uh, we are also being listened to by so many people from around the world. Uh, right now, we have people from Germany, Austria, uh, Morgantown, United States, Istanbul, Turkey. Thank you, thank you, thank you. From Israel. Somebody is tuning in from Israel, the Russian Federation, Santa Clara, uh, California, Argentina, uh, wow. from some France and Spain and Turkey. Thank you so much for tuning in and listening. Uh, the show cannot be possible without you. Uh, it is truly a blessing and an honor to be here and serving you in this way and in this capacity. So thank you, thank you, thank you very, very much. Um, John, I would like to talk about your book and to understand uh, where it was inspired from. Uh, you know, how did uh, how did you come about writing your book called War Sacrifice and Coming Home, a compilation, which your mother has uh, so wonderfully graced the cover of the book. Am I correct? Yes, that's correct, Charlie. Sure. Uh, hang on. Let me show you the cover. Okay. Can you see that? Yes, if you could hold it up just a little higher, there we go. And uh, that's the book there, War Sacrifice and Coming Home, a compilation by John Oswalt. Uh, all proceeds, I believe, does that go to Soldier's Heart when it's purchased? Yeah, or? all proceeds are for sale of the book go to Soldier's Heart. Okay. And um, basically, I didn't set out to write a book, and it's not about me. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a, a compilation over about an eight-year period, I wrote at least 30 newspaper columns on various veterans' issues. And I was approached by a local publisher said, you know, why don't we put that in a book form? So we have 30 columns, again, with a variety of different topics, including, you know, when a chaplain dies in war, uh, the sentencing of a young Marine, um, certainly columns about the, the Vietnam trip, uh, a letter from one of my students in Iraq. Anyway, it's a variety of things. In addition, there are some short stories by some of my, my veteran colleagues. Mm-hmm. Uh, Ryan Smithson is a local uh, author uh, who wrote Ghosts of War. So I was approached and we put it together. And it took uh, about eight years to you know put together the columns, but it got published in maybe a year and a half. To jumpstart my next book, I talked the editors of the local newspapers into having me do 15 columns in a row 
prior to the recent Veterans Day. So <laughs> it's not going to take me eight to ten years for the next book. And I'll be doing the same thing, you know, putting the columns together with uh, some short stories from some veteran uh, authors also. So basically that's what the book is about. That's so fantastic. And uh, can we do, I mean, I've read some of these articles. It's fantastic. It's amazing writing. It's so heartfelt, and it really gives a caption, just a glimpse into uh, the, the military mindset, the understanding, the sacrifices that people make, how people honor their, their fallen brothers and sisters. And, it's just, and, you know, some of the things that I find, uh, you know, one of the stories about the Vietnam Wall that the gentleman who's uh, carrying back and, and, and taking that Vietnam Wall to all these different places and how he's, uh, can you share that story just a little bit? I think it's such a great, great story about this man who's honoring his fallen brothers and sisters. Yeah, he's a, a Vietnam-era veteran, United States Navy, uh, was a corpsman. He lives in Florida, and ironically, it's my cousin. Oh. And he and a small group of vets down there, I guess, put built this wall, put together a replica, and they uh, schlep it all over the country. And they're, you know, retired, and they set this wall up in various cities and have people, you know, look at their, a replica. But obviously they sap sacrifice their time and their you know finances to to you know really work this project the, the best way it can be mm -hmm. uh worked so it, it's it's just a, a nice experience i i kind of got lucky i i went to the uh to the vietnam wall uh replica in albany new york near my hometown of troy and there was my cousin so i said this is great let me write about this my mother and i have been on the patriot flight which is where they take veterans, uh, primarily World War II veterans, down to Washington, D.C. Uh, we were flown down there, and we saw the Korean War veterans, uh, you know, wall and the Vietnam Wall, and we had a wonderful experience down there. It was maybe about six, seven years ago. But anybody who draws attention to the lives of veterans in a meaningful way, in a productive way, you know, they're kind of like my heroes. Mm -hmm. Even, you know, the stuff you're doing today. This is heroic, believe it or not. Oh, I don't, <laughs> thank you. I, I don't know, but thank you, John. That's, that's Why are you guy. spreading the word? Uh, it's important. It is important. It's important to give people, uh, to not only to spread the word about veterans, uh, to make it a council for all peoples and to give people an opportunity to be able to share their stories in meaningful ways to help touch this society and the community and the world, uh, to bring people closer together and to achieve that goal that all warriors have uh, and which is why they do what they do, which is peace, ultimately. Yeah. What is, uh, why is it so hard? You know, I mean, these are some of the things that I found in, in, your, in your writing, in the articles. Why is it so hard for uh, servicemen and women to make the transition from military to uh, back to the civilian world? Uh, that's a very complicated question, certainly. Um, let me start with boot camp. Mm -hmm. You and I and whoever has been in the armed forces will always be different, and that difference starts in boot camp. Uh, when, I, when I came back, I walked differently. My posture was different. I thought differently. I, I was neat. I was I was orderly. So sir, there are some of the positive things. So boot camp is a way that uh, you learn to function as a team, as a unit. You learn different values, different goals. So we'll always be different. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, some things are negative, some things are positive. So when we come back from wherever we were for a few years, um, it's not easy for family members and neighbors to um, adjust and accept that a kind of like new person. Um, and they are often influenced by a lot of mythology and ideas that don't always fit with what we want when we come back. For example, in the movie, um, what was it, Robert De Niro, Christopher Walken, the Vietnam classic. Oh, the Deer Hunter. It's one of my favorites. Deer Hunter. Robert De Niro comes back from Vietnam, had some horrible experiences there. They had a big party planned for him. He didn't want a party, and he didn't even go to it. So when we come back from, again, wherever we are, uh, civilians don't always understand that we have maybe unique needs, and maybe we don't want a party. Maybe we want to isolate. Maybe we want to be alone for a while. Maybe we want to hike in the woods and be quiet. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of difficult for them to know how to respond to us in a positive way. The best way, I think, is to say, you know, what can I do for you? What would make you feel comfortable? Mm-hmm. So, again, it's not easy for uh, civilians. It's funny, I think of the movie Shawshank Redemption, mm-hmm. where the guy was in uh, jail for like 40 years. Not that we've been in jail in the service, but we've been in a routine uh, a routine life where our food is always around the same time. We're on the barracks, we're on the base. Everything is the decisions are mostly made for us. And that's what he experienced in the prison, and when he came out, he could not adjust. Some combat vets do multiple deployments, sometimes because of a commitment to the country and to the mission, but also sometimes because they cannot adjust to being, quote, back to the world, Mm -hmm. being in civilian life. So it's a good question, but extremely complicated, but it has to be looked at both from the perspective of the veteran and how we've been indoctrinated and also from the family members in society, what kind of indoctrination they get mm-hmm. filled with falsehoods about what the armed forces is really about. Yeah, that's right. And, and being able to recognize that uh, servicemen and women, uh, whether you agree with what, you know, what they're doing or not, are extensions of the whole society. And so when we don't allow them to, to integrate back in and find ways to connect to them uh, in meaningful ways and helping them to, to share their stories so that people can understand, uh, they do isolate. They do tend to, to stay away. And uh, we don't allow them that that's, uh, ability to be able to honor that so- social contract that uh, military members and the society has. And so that's why we have so many uh, veterans committing suicide and so why we have so many people uh, contemplating and doing alcohol and drugs. I mean, there's a huge uh, alcohol and drug uh, epidemic happening in the service right now, especially the opioids. I mean, it's just, and a lot of it has to do, excuse me, with the um, inability to handle the arousal symptoms from the PTSD. And so, We've got to be able to find ways, healthy ways, holistic ways to be able to handle these uh, traumatic issues so that everybody can come back home. Not, not everybody's affected by PTSD, but we've got to help those who are. And we've got to be able to look at it from a society saying, 
we can't deny what, what they did. You know, once, once something's done, it can't be undone. But you can help them to take that burden off of their shoulders and carry it together so that we make better and wiser choices. Yeah. yeah Charlie, uh, you mentioned PTSD, and certainly that gets a lot of coverage in the media and in textbooks. Uh, I unfortunately had a unique experience with it, a personal experience. Although I only got as far as Gitmo, uh, my son was almost killed in a car crash two years ago. And uh, for at least a year and a half, I'm still dealing with it. Some of the similar symptoms, mm -hmm. nightmares, flashbacks, <laughs> hypervigilance. So PTSD certainly can be uh, acquired during combat, but a natural disaster, a childhood trauma, and something I just experienced. And I got a real nasty look at it, not as severe as, you know, some of my comrade combatants, but mm -hmm. uh, it was very, very nasty. What do you think is the, the essence of camaraderie? I mean, that's one of the, the quintessential qualities or attributes of military service. I mean, what, what, why is that bonding that happens so strong? Uh, it's funny. The first thing I thought it was something almost foolish is that you're in the same proximity, Mm -hmm. You know, for long periods of time. And you know what? When you're a kid, that's how you make friends, people who live near you. So here we are <laughs> cast together with other people in the same proximity for lengthy periods of time. And we're almost forced to get along. Mm -hmm. You know, I'm, I'm from upstate New York. I've lived in Brooklyn in my life. But when I was in the service, these guys from down south thought I was an alien. Oh, you're from New York. You carry a knife all the time with you and all that. And I thought, likewise, what well, these guys are, you know, they're so familiar with farming and things that I have no, you know, idea about. So the camaraderie, I think, develops just by the fact that you're cast together and you have the same goal, the same objectives. And sometimes, you know, our, our bosses, our drill instructors, kind of like they really support our bonding together like that. And uh, we're bonded by the fact that uh, we're sometimes lonely together, we're sometimes afraid together, but we eat together, we're always together. So I don't have a, a mystical, religious, or romantic uh, response to your question, but I just think of that. We have to be comrades. We have to get along together. Mm -hmm. We absolutely do. And there's just something that, you know, somebody who's willing <clears throat> to sacrifice, you know, sacrifice their life for you. There is an, there's a bonding that happens that uh, you, you really can't put words to it. You can't express it. You just know that that guy, that girl uh, has got my back and there's no doubt about it. And so there's that sense of uh, deep platonic agape type love, I guess is what you would call it. But it's, uh, you, know, you can't put words to it. And it's, it can be very, very strong, and you can actually long for it. You can miss it, and that often happens, too, when, uh, when people are returning back into the civilian world. They lose that sense of that deep bonding, that deep trust that is um, very, very needed and a part of the, uh, the military culture. Yeah, that's a great point. You ended with uh, uh, trying to replace that deep platonic love when you come back to even sometimes family members who seem like strangers mm -hmm. and there's a longing for that closeness and a longing for, you know, ways to self-disclose some of the things that happen mm -hmm. and uh, the opportunities are not often there. 
No, they're not. They're, they're, they're definitely not. Well, I, I, we've only got about four minutes left, John. I would love to get your mom back on really quick uh, if she's still there. And just yeah. to share just a particular story of, uh, of your experience, any wisdom that uh, from her service that she could impart to other families, other uh, men or women who are in service right now that she would like to impart from her 92 years of experience. Could you, um, could you have her come on? Yeah, huh. here she is. There she, she is. is. I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm, I'm sorry. I was looking at the camera. I'm sorry. I didn't. Uh, but yes. Could you share some, some wisdom, just a bit of wisdom for the audience, ma'am? Some advice for military families. I was too young to give advice. <laughs> <laughs> so you can give advice now. How about some advice? Or a story. Thank or a story you. that is really important in your life. About going into the military? Yeah, about getting out of the military. Oh, getting out? Yeah. Oh. Um, I, I, I think you just uh, be cool like you, like you just got in. <laughs> that's, how, about, that's how about dancing and having a sense of humor oh dancing well that's another here. sense of humor uh, you're almost born with that or else you can develop it uh, because you're with some people that are th this way about everything so easy and and I think if you hang out with someone this way uh, then it'll then it breaks off on you you mm -hmm. know you can you can relate to that. As far as music, we've been brought up with music all our lives. As far as dancing, that's a big thing for for me, and I still do it. And uh, ballroom is a, and um, I'm asked to go here and there, so I must be doing something right with those two feet of mine. <laughs> that's so great. That is, that is so amazing. Uh, what an inspiration to to so many people. Thank you, uh, thank you, ma'am, so much. <laughs> Thank you. <clears throat> All right, John. Um, please let everybody know where they can get in contact with you, where they can find your book, and how they can order it. And likewise, any bits of wisdom. We got about two minutes here before we have to get off the air. Okay. Uh, my uh, Gmail is J R Ostwald O S T W A L D thirty three at gmail dot com. That's my personal email. My uh, website is www.professorostwald.com, O-S-T-W-A-L-D.com. And the book is on Amazon. It's called War, Sacrifice, and Coming Home. And uh, I'm the author, John Ostwald. And uh, certainly, my book was a lot of interviewing a lot of different people. So they should get the credit. I just kind of put it together and know did a little of this and did a little of that but jrostwall33 at gmail.com uh, www.professorostwall.com is my website and it's on amazon um, war sacrifice and coming home uh, i just want to thank you very much charlie you thank know you. it's great to see you again and thank uh, you so much <laughs> um, <laughs> words of wisdom i guess i don't have any you know big words just uh, like my mother said, I guess keep on dancing, have a sense of humor, be honorable, uh, seek help when you need it, uh, be empathetic, be compassionate. All those themes that you introduced during the beginning of the show, that's really right on, Charlie. Thank you from...
Thank you from Corporal Josephine. Oh, thank you, Corporal Josephine. <laughs> uh, and thank you, John. Thank you both so much for joining me on the show. What an amazing, amazing history and, and the work that you've done. And it's just an honor to have you on. Um, I think that will be it for today. We are broadcasting on KUHSDenver.com. It's KUHS Denver broadcasting all around the world. The best shows, the music all around. Uh, uh, best artist. Please tune in next uh, in two weeks. We've had people from the United Kingdom, Russia, Saudi Arabia, Athens, Greece, Argentina. Um, thank you, thank you, thank you for tuning in. Um, my name is Charlie Pacello. I wish you to have an amazing weekend and God bless you all. Tune in. In two weeks, we're going to have a special guest that's going to be talking about some of the gangs that are going on in Chicago. It's really going to be a fantastic show. Uh, really, really think you want to tune into that. All right, folks. God bless. May God you all bless. be well. May you all be free of pain and suffering. May you all be whole. Council is adjourned. All right, John.